Malachi, chapter 1. This is the final book of the Old Testament, the last thing recorded for about 400 years until we see Matthew chapter 1. For 400 years, there was silence. Whether you want to say God didn't speak or maybe God just didn't want it recorded, there was nothing said to be recorded for us for 400 years. The people of God throughout the Old Testament had a history of obedience and disobedience, obedience and disobedience over and over and over again. We did a, a teaching uh, a couple of years ago, I believe, in Judges, and it was like every chapter was the same thing, and they did good in the Lord's sight, and then they disobeyed, pretty much how every chapter starts in Judges. So it's this theme in the Old Testament over and over and over, and let's just get real, it's a theme today. We are obedient, disobedient, obedient, disobedient. And this time, though, they weren't just repenting, um, or they weren't just not repenting, they weren't just disobedient. But this time, in, a, in a Malachi, we see a people that when God pointed out their sin, or God pointed out their issue, this time, not only did they not repent, but they pointed to God and said, you're the problem. You, 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 you're the one with the issue. And God kept silent after that for 400 years. Ecclesiastes 3.7, we're, we're told, and this is not on the screens, that there's a time to speak and a time to keep quiet. It's pretty awesome that even God abides by his own word because the word is God. God is the word. He doesn't go outside of his own decree. So even God said there was a time for me to speak, but now there's going to be a time for me to keep silent. The dialogue was no longer productive. So God kept quiet. And the first chapter of Matthew opens up with a great line of this is how the birth of Messiah came about. Think about that for a second. God spoke to the people. He kept quiet for 400 years. And then he opens back up communication by saying, this is how the, my son, the Messiah, came about. And if you hear nothing else tonight, hear this. God kept quiet for 400 years because people turned his back on him. And his response to an ungrateful people, his response to a people who turned to him, from him was, here, I'm going to give you my son and I'm going to allow you to kill him because I want you. 400 years of silence interrupted by the gift of a Savior. Wow. When the dialogue is no longer productive, your best communication tool sometimes is silence and action. Dialogue from God to men was no longer productive, so he kept quiet, and then he gave his son through a virgin. Impossible broke through the atmosphere from heaven into earth. And sometimes we just need to shut up and show people God through the way we, we act, through the way we react, through the way we govern our life, because sometimes people just will not receive your words. And a lot of us are getting exhausted by trying to cram words down, down their ears when the best tool to communicate to them is their eyes seeing you live out the thing that you're trying to cram down their throats. So Malachi, <laughs> lighten it up a little bit, is this last book written before Jesus entered. 
And I believe we've limited this book to tithe and offering when the book of Malachi has so much more needed prophetic words and instruction for this day and age. Most people believe that Malachi prophesied to the people during the days of Nehemiah, specifically while Nehemiah left Jerusalem to serve the king of Babylon. So if you're familiar with the the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. He went away for a time to serve the king. Most believe that this is when Malachi was actually prophesying to the people. And matter of fact, in the scripture, Malachi uses a Persian word for governor in the text, which we'll get into next week. We're only going to cover the first uh, probably five verses tonight. Um, but in the text, in chapter 1, the word for governor is actually a Persian word, letting us know that he's in a time period when the promised land, the people of God, were actually ruled by the Persian Empire, right? So, and because he mentions the corruption of the temple sacrifices, we know that this message was years after the temple had been built and restored. So he's not prophesying during a time where the temple wasn't built. He's prophesying years after the temple was already built. He was prophesying during this time. Matter of fact, when Nehemiah went to the king of Babylon in Nehemiah, I believe it was around somewhere around chapters 12 or 13, maybe I, I want to say maybe longer than that, but the temple was starting to be re rebuilt in chapter 1. So we're seeing in the middle of Nehemiah is when Malachi is actually starting to prophesy. And that's where we begin. The people of God have been back in the promised land for more than 100 years, and when they came back to the land, they were expecting and looking for blessings. Of course they were. It was the promised land, right? It was the promises of God. They were looking for blessing. They were, they were expecting something good. But because they did not see what they expected, they were struggling to believe that God loved them. They said, God must not love us because look at what he isn't doing. It's funny how when people are not experiencing blessing, we question the faithfulness of God. Or we start praying about leaving a church. Or we start saying things like, we aren't being fed, it's time to move on. But I, I say tonight that if you're at a place, and hear this out because I, this is a, I believe this is a prophetic word for moving forward, that if you are at a place where you are so full that you are no longer being fed, your next season is not to find a new table with different food. Your next season is to start helping feed. Do you receive that? I'm no longer being fed. Good, serve the food. Don't look for another table. We as a church have got to embrace a unity to such a degree that we are not trying to find the next best thing. We are seated moving into the next best thing, which is not the next house of worship, but rather a revelation of the presence of God. Right? This is where we need to move. And... There's, there's so many times when we go through these seasons of pauses. Like you're not experiencing blessing, you're not seeing promises fulfilled, right? Um, we're not, we're not seeing the next thing come about. But a season of pause is not always an indication that you're in the wrong place. A season of managing circumstances you don't like doesn't mean you're out of the will of the Father. And a lot of us, I feel like, are probably in a season where we're managing circumstances we don't like. Am I the only one there? Managing circumstances that are tough. You ever heard of the scripture, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid? 
Well, we quote that scripture a lot. Be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, don't panic, I am with you. But a lot of us don't even know the context of that. The context of that scripture is that God told Moses, hey, your day is up and Joshua is taking over and he's going to take the people into the promised land. So God is talking to the people. He's saying, hey, I'm bringing you into exactly where I want you. And when he's telling the, 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 the Moses is over, Joshua's taken over, I'm going to take you into the promised land. This is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, starting in verse 5. It says, the Lord will hand over to you the people who live there. And you must deal with them as I've commanded you. Stop right there. I'm taking you into the promised land, but in that promise, I'm giving you a people that you ain't going to like dealing with. But you must deal with them as I have commanded you. So, verse 6, verse 6, be strong. Y'all get this? I'm going to bring you into a, I'm going to give to you a people that you're not going to like, and you're going to have to deal with them. So be strong, be courageous, don't fear, don't panic. The Lord will go ahead of you. He will not fail you. He will not abandon you. In other words, you're going to have to steward a people who may not agree with you, who are going to be tough, and at first, the conditions will not match the promise. Your conditions at first may not match the promise. So be strong. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. These people in Malachi were focused on an unfortunate circumstance and refused to account for any of their own responsibility, refused to believe that God was still with them in the midst of their circumstances. They were back in the land, but the conditions of the land didn't match the promise. The temple was rebuilt, they were offering sacrifices, the feasts had returned, but there were promises of the prophets that were still very far from being fulfilled. So the people, because they didn't get what they wanted at the time they entered into the promised land, they were discouraged, they were disappointed, they had low regard for God, and this is how the whole thing starts. These are the promises we're not seeing them. We're doing what you call us to do. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of like how the church is. There's a promise that he's in our midst. There's a promise that his presence is here. But when we don't see that promise is fulfilled in a moment, we question our positioning instead of seeking God of how to manage the unfortunate circumstance when the condition doesn't match the promise. Is this speaking to anybody? And this is where the people are in Malachi chapter 1. So before Malachi starts getting on their case, which we're going to get into the next few weeks, and it's going to be so fun. There's four chapters in Malachi. We'll probably only be in here like 30 weeks or something like that. But this is how God starts the whole thing in Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you. Malachi was about to just keep that up there. Malachi was about to bring a lot of specific correction, but before he did, he assured them of God's love. Why? Because this is going to set a foundation for their call to obedience. Because a God who loves us should be welcome with our response of this, we love you too. And we love you too has become very apathetic in the church. Our we love you, God, has become we love you if you're doing what you want for us. 
We love your ways until it begins to be uncomfortable. Not trying to bring up an old thing, but I will. We love your commands of don't forsake the gathering of the saints until a, a big scary disease comes into the United States of America. And we say he heals all things and he's over all things, but for some reason he wasn't powerful enough to keep us healthy. And, and, and then there's, there's, there's a lot of things that happened during that season. I know people got sick, people passed away. There's all kind of things that we don't understand. But one thing I do know, that when unfortunate circumstances come, we need to start asking God how do we steward it rather than how we hide from it. Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. Some versions read more accurately, if you love me, you should obey my commandments. This isn't so much as a command, as a statement of, I see how much you love me by what you obey. Why does this matter? It's not about you better stay right with God. It's about the position of your heart should be seen in a natural fruit of obedience. And if you have no obedience, you reveal the position of your heart. The degree of obedience reveals the degree of your love. The degree of obedience in your life reveals the degree of how much you love God. It's not how much you say you love him. It's how much of your life is submitted to his ways because you love to submit to his ways. Matthew 12, 34 says this, You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what's good and right for whatever is in your heart determines what you say? Another way to say that scripture that we quote a lot is whatever comes, we can see that, what is it, um, from the heart the mouth speaks. So when you have people that say how much they love God, but you never hear love from their mouth, they're actually revealing where they're at. We reveal where we're at. And that's not meant to help you point it out and say you don't really love God. It's to help us get to a place as a people where if we say we love him and if we say we are obedient to him, people can tell that without us ever having to say it by watching obedience in our lifestyles. It's been a great week for me, even though it's been a very tough and busy week, because I've had quite a few conversations about God's telling me to give up this, and I've given it up, and it's been tough, and it's been hard, and I'm managing these circumstances. But I didn't hear how bad it was. What I heard was how much they loved him because they were willing to give it up. Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will be also. What you do reveals the posture of your heart, your treasure, what you sow into, what you give your time to, what you give your eyes to, what you give your ears to will reveal a degree of where you are in your love of God. And one of the most dangerous things that Christians do is we compare our walk with someone else's walk 
and we say, well, you're not convicted of what I'm convicted, so you must not love God as much as I love God. And I say, remove the speck out your own eye before you start pointing out their speck because where you get A and B right and they get A and B wrong, they get C and D right and you really mess up on C and D. But for some reason, your convictions are better than their convictions. We all have places to where we have to grow in our walk with God. A call to believers is not to point out how bad they are. A call to believers is to lock arms so we can walk forward together. And part of that is, hey, what's going on in your life? But then you've got to welcome what they're seeing in your life. See, that's the, that's the tough part of church that we don't like, vulnerability. Being willing to share weaknesses and share strengths. How do we know where we are in our love for God? We see it in the way we act. We see it in the way we talk. We see it in our lifestyle. And God is about to show these people, him, he himself has shown this very principle. He's about to tell them, if you ever question my love for you, I want you to remember what I have already done. Because love is revealed in what you say and what you do. And if what we're saying and what we do doesn't match his love, perhaps you are the one out of alignment. God doesn't need to change his ways. You need to change your ways. His ways do not change with the times. The times have changed out of his ways. He's the same God today, yesterday, and forever. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. Times don't change God's mind. He is constant. In, in Malachi chapter 2, or chapter 1, verse 2, after he says, I've loved you, this is what he says. I've loved you, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I've loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. He says, in what, what, he, he says, yet you say, in what way have you loved me? The people just said, God, if you really love us, why are the things are the way they are? That's a question many of us wrestle with. God, if you really love me, why am I dealing with this still? Is anybody dealing with stuff still that they've been dealing with for like 20 years or 10 years or two months, and you're like, God, where the heck are you? Does anyone want to be, be yeah, we got a few. Yeah, okay, awesome. You're being, you're being honest. That's an okay thing. Many of us wrestle with that question. Why are things like this? Let's get even further. Let's get, let's get really into what everyone's saying right now on social media and the news. What, why, are, why are people like, why are things getting worse? Because everyone's starting to see war in Israel. Everyone's starting to see all these things come that Revelation speaks of and the rest of the prophecies speak of. And everyone is starting to, oh, the end must be near. So let's fear monger people out of hell. Can I just say this? Stop getting people to believe in Jesus by trying to get them to fear a hell that they don't even believe in. My, my God is not a God who instills fear in people to get them to love him. He is a God who shows them how much he loves them to get them to love him. Yep. 
People are saying, God, if you're here, why are things getting worse? People are saying, God, why aren't we seeing more miracles, signs, and wonders? And, and stop telling people we're not seeing it because it's getting toward the end. Because in my Bible, it says, in the end, a spotless bride church will be revealed. So while the world is in decay, a people of God are actually thriving and being birthed. So if you think we're going to get less powerful as we get closer to the end, you've read the Bible in completely the wrong way. The world will be in decay, but not the people of God. So what's the key? To seeing all these things come to pass when all else decays, when all else is going backwards. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 16. The promise is received by faith. The promise, someone say it with me, the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. Did you just catch that? He said this has nothing to do with keeping the rules. He says whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who, watch this, creates new things out of nothing. While the earth withers and dies, God can bring new things out of what seems like there is no potential. While the earth decays... And while we see it's never going to get better, God says, I can create new things out of that nothing. Genesis 8 says, as long as the earth remains, y'all know what that means? As long as we hear, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will not stop. So the problem is not God can't do a new thing as we get closer to the end. The problem is what we're planting or what we're not planting. Not what God isn't doing. Because he says as long as the earth remains, there is a law. Seed time and harvest. You plant a seed, it's going to grow. Can I go even further? For conspiracy theorists, stop looking at global warming and stop looking at all these things that are going to make the earth go away. As long as the earth remains, it's going to have its resources. That's scripture. Close the book on that. As long as the earth remains, it's got what it needs to produce. Okay? <laughs> and if, I'm sorry. If we're not planting seeds of faith into dead activity, nothing can be created out of it. If we're not planting seeds of faith in dead activity, nothing is going to be created out of it. These past two weeks in this house, I believe, have been the most free ever in the history of this house. But in order to get there... And to keep moving, we have to plant seeds of faith into unfamiliar territory. Like, what do we do when multiple people hear a trumpet when there is no trumpet? 
Because what the church has done is we put it to marketing and use it as a way to invite people to church because stuff's going on. But what, why did we hear it? Right? The, the planting seeds of faith is God, what do you want us to do with this thing? And even though we don't know how to navigate, we're going to try to navigate. And he's so good and he's so there and he's so present that he says, I see your heart's desire. I see the desires of a man's heart. And as long as you are pursuing me and walking in faith, I am going to bring new things out of what seems to be dead. So while Savannah is known as a ghost city and while Savannah is known as the, the drinking capital for St. Patrick's Day, where you see that it might be a dead thing, God says, if you would start planting seeds of faith, I will bring new things out of this seemingly dead place let's go even further the church seems to be dead the church seems to be ineffective the church seems to be at a place where we can't get the loss and God says but if you would plant seeds of faith I'll take what the church is a seemingly dead thing and produce new things out of it you want to know how we're going to see more miracles and more signs and want well, we're seeing signs we're seeing miracles we're seeing cancer disappear we're seeing uh, um, um, you know seven feet tall men being held by the Holy Spirit we're, 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 we're <laughs> we're, we're, we're seeing all kind of crazies that we're hearing trumpets. We're, we're seeing all the stuff. How do we see more? We plant seeds of faith. And he says, when you plant those seeds, my law says, as long as the earth remains, it's got, something's got to come from it. What seeds am I talking about? An all-in worship where we don't have to worship God based off when we see the promise, when we see the answer to prayer. It's the fact that he's here is enough for me to say yes. If we all plant Jesus is coming, if we all, if all we plant is Jesus is coming back, and we're not planting worship as if he is already here, we'll be at a pause. I want to say that again. If the only seeds we plant is Jesus is coming back, and we aren't planting a worship as if he's already here, we're going to be at a pause. Because I assure you, he is as real in spirit as he is in flesh. It's good to say Jesus is coming back. That's a promise. But if you are waiting to worship him in the degree of what you want to worship him as when he returns, we're going to be at pause right now because he's jealous for end time worship right now. And we say it without realizing it. I can't wait to meet Jesus so I can just get down on my knees. He's here right now. Why are you waiting? We're shifting some things. We're telling people we're going to pray at 5.15 going into 6 on Saturday nights. Why? Because we know we're trying to move out of this come to church to get a show and come to church to, 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 to watch this thing. It's we're coming together and the degree that we experience God is dependent on the people who are coming and seeking an expectation. You want to know how we're going to get out of a pause and see crazy things happen like thousands of people coming to the feet of Jesus is when we worship as if he is just as here now as he will be in the end. And, and the end is simply the start of the rest of the, 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 the everything. The end isn't the end. The end is the beginning. That's why he is the beginning and the end. 
Where we see in, he says, start. How did he start a new thing? He let us kill him. <laughs> that's why Paul, God, that's why the apostle Paul knew God just as much as Peter and John. He didn't, he didn't know Jesus in the flesh, but he knew him just as much. So much that he wrote most of the New Testament. Continuing in verse 18, it says this about Abraham. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Did y'all hear that? Even though there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God has said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. Did you get that? He said, even though I'm about as good as dead, and even though my wife's womb is as, is as good as dead, he remembered something. The Lord says, I will create new things out of nothing. A woman's womb who was dead and could not produce, God told Abraham, it will. Faith without works is dead. For Abraham, putting faith to work looked like this. I worship God as if the promise has already matured into reality. Faith without works is dead. For Abraham, faith in works is I am going to worship God as if the promise has already matured and been fulfilled. Because as days and years went by, it says his faith did not waver. It grew without seeing promise. Does your faith grow when you don't see promise? Or are you waiting on promise so that your faith can grow? Well, how can my faith grow when I don't see promise? You don't sow seeds of doubt. You don't sow seeds of maybe I'm not in the right place. You sow seeds of it's already done. Did you hear the testimony that Devin shared? When, when, when they, they felt the tumor, the, 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 the growth, she went away going, mm-mm. She never sowed a seed of agreement. We sow too many seeds of agreement. And you know what his law is? You sow that seed. So when the church is sowing seeds of the world's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, of course it is. We're sowing it. You know why he's looking for a spotless bride? He's waiting for a bride to be revealed that actually speaks the things of God and not the lie of the enemy. The enemy is telling us things are going backwards, and God says, mm-mm, I'm looking for a spotless bride that's going to be stronger today than it, than it was in Acts 2. Abraham never saw some of the promises that God told him in Genesis 12. God said, I'm going to make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you, and I will multiply your descendants as the stars in the sky. Did you, did you catch that? God said, you're going to have so many descendants. And his wife can't even get pregnant. But even though it was a life of not seeing it, he never wavered, worshiping God as if he did. Because he had eyes in faith, not in natural. 
And what's more, do you realize that Abraham and Sarah didn't get pregnant until they were renamed? God said, Abram, I'm calling you Abraham. Sarai, I'm calling you Sarah. Because Sarai had a barren womb. But Sarah did not. A return to worship is remembering he can make all things new. And it begins with walking in a new man, not governed by your old man. Jacob whispered to me up here after worship. He said, hey, I got a word. I'm not sure if it's on time or not. And that's when I showed him I wrote this down. He said, in worship, he heard there are, is it someone or people? He doesn't know. Someone or people in this room who have struggled with barren wounds, and he says they're not going to be barren. They're going to produce. Now, what the enemy wants you to do is those of you that were supposed to receive that, the enemy is whispering right now, that's not for you. Or it might not ever happen. Don't sow seeds of agreement into that. The enemy is a liar. The there was a trumpet sounding tonight when there was no trumpet in the room, and he got a word that I wrote down on a page that he never saw. So let me, let me say it again. If you have struggled with barrenness, the Lord says you're going to produce. Praise God. A return to worship is when I don't see promises. I return to worship and not doubt. I return to worship and not complain. I choose to see promises and not the current circumstance. Yes, yes, yes. And when you start to put your eyes on promises, you'll start to manage the not great conditions according to promise. You don't wait on God to give you a lottery miracle. If God told you it's going to be done, you start making moves toward that promise. It, you, you have something like, like money, right? If God says you're going to get out of debt, you don't wait for God to give you a big pot of gold. You start stewarding the unfortunate circumstance of I don't have. And when he sees that you're faithful and little, he can trust you with much. Barrenness. If you're, if you, this might get a little too, too weird and real, but if, you're, if God is telling you tonight that you are going to produce, the next time you go into the marriage bed, go in with a mindset of, I'm going to produce. You see what I'm, you, you, have to, you, you have to manage your life according to the promise, not off the conditions. If you want your relationship restored, you want to know how you manage that relationship that's nowhere near being restored? Start forgiving them until you get before you get an apology. Because you're not managing it based off of the current relationship. You're managing it based off of where God wants to take you. So when you see restoration, it's easy to forgive. 
Is, it, is this okay? Is this okay? <laughs> he said it's all right. <laughs> one time, I, I think it was Jacob, one time he said no. <laughs> Just to mess with me, hopefully. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. As days go by, our faith should grow stronger because we only bring glory to him. And a lot of the worship in church today doesn't even look like glory to God. It looks like glory to us. We've been having this conversation a lot, but a lot of the Christian songs today is, is not about glory to God. It's about me, 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 me. I, 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 I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. When we really should just be, the angels sing one song over and over and over. It's holy, holy. You know why? Because every time they call, every time the angels say holy, they see another dimension of how holy he is. So they don't have enough, they don't have language to put for what's next. All they can say is holy, oh, holy, oh, holy, oh, holy. All on repeat. That hurt. <laughs> you ever get tired of giving them praise or are you at a point where you can just say glory to God? Glory to God. You got the bad news. Glory to God. A lot of worship in church today, it looks like seated brokenness. Seated brokenness. I, I, I don't know why the Holy Spirit gave me that to write down. Let me tell you what it, what it means. It's one thing to come to the Lord broken. We're called to do that. But your worship should not stay at, I worship because I'm broken. Your worship, rather, I worship because I am coming out of brokenness in a revelation of how good he is. When you remember you are reborn and made new, you're able to produce the things God placed in you before sin robbed you of it. Stop looking at your life as a dead place because God says I can make all, I can bring new things out of what seems to be dead. He says in verse 3, so you see, in, in Malachi, God reminded them, he said, I've loved Jacob, I hated Esau. God asked Israel to remember, remember that I chose you and I favored you and nothing has changed. But they're doubting that because of their conditions. He said, Esau I've hated. I lay waste in, the, in his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Can we talk about what that means? Because it's like, really, the scripture says God hated somebody? But the, this was not hate in the sense of cursing or going against him. We see in Genesis, actually, in 33 and 36, that Esau was very blessed. Even though there would be a people called the Edomites, because he hit a, his, his nickname was a word, Edom, which means red, because if you read, he was a twin, he had red head, all, all those kind of things, cool stuff. Apparently, red-headed people are Edomites, or not really, just kidding. <laughs> Why y'all looking at Colleen? I just speak rebirthing right now. <laughs> Listen to this. Hate is referring to being unchosen to receive that particular blessing that was for Jacob. It simply means I didn't choose you for that blessing. I chose Jacob for it. God is speaking to Israel and he says, look, you're both sinning. 
Israelites and the Edomites, Israelites of Jacob, Edomites of Esau, but I'm choosing to forgive you and allow my promises to prevail because Esau walked out of promise. I wonder how many of us lack in worship because we're jealous when we see people walking into their promises and we don't see ours. And not receiving that blessing, remember that Esau actually did have his own. It just wasn't Abraham's. Hear me out on this. God spoke to Abraham's daughter-in-law, Rebekah, and said, you're going to have two sons, and the older will serve the younger. And they were fighting in the womb. And Rebekah's like, God, what, why am I dealing with this? And he's like, well, they're going to be at war even when they're born, and they're both going to have two separate nations, right? Esau was chosen to serve Jacob, actually. He, and Esau knew it even before he was born because he already had an issue with it. Esau was chosen to serve Jacob because Esau was the oldest brother. And the prophecy was that the oldest would serve the youngest. Even though law and order was saying that the oldest would get the birthright. And if you know the story, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, must have been broccoli cheddar. But Esau, <laughs> some of y'all are like, mm-mm, ain't broccoli cheddar. Tomato, is that better? Vegetable soup, chicken noodle soup? Y'all need to get saved. French onion. Esau, French onion. That's, that's that redhead anointing right there. <laughs> but Esau received blessings in agriculture and wealth. Just not the same as Jacob's. And if you want to go even further and push the envelope, Esau gave up his birthright, but as the oldest, he should have received double inheritance. The will of God never said Esau couldn't have his birthrights, the prophecy said that an older brother would serve the younger. Perhaps Esau was actually predestined to not give up his inheritance and still show humility in serving Jacob. We'll never know. But the point of this is he walked out of anything God may have had for him. And that's what God is reminding the people of. He says, do you choose to walk according to my will or do you make decisions of disobedience when it looks like you won't get your promise? I've waited on God for 10 years. He ain't coming through. I might as well. You have a choice to walk according to promise or not. And remember, God chose you when Jesus died on the cross. So you do not return to why did God forget me you return to a remembrance of he has already chosen me. People walk in a spirit like Esau, walking away when they're invited to a family of I chose you. It says so in John 15, 16. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my, using my name. Leave that out there. I chose you, you didn't choose me, I appointed you to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. What's the promise? I'm going to give you whatever you ask for in my name. But this does not mean that anything you ask for will be given to you just because you say in the name of Jesus. That is the worst doctrine that the church has embraced. As long as I say in the name of Jesus. You can say in the name of Jesus all day. God's not going to bless that cheesy hamburger to the health of your body. 
It's not going to magically become cucumbers when it enters your system. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Because we go out and eat after church, a lot of us, and we'll go get fajitas and greasiness and cheese, and we say, Lord, bless this meal. In the name of Jesus. That's not what it means. Y'all loosen up a little bit. What does it mean? When you ask in, the, in Jesus' name, it means according to Jesus' will. So whatever you ask that is in the will of the Father will be given to you. Why does God say, I want to give you the desires of your heart so you can start asking the things that he desires for you? Because he can't give it to you until you start wanting it and say, Lord, I want it in Jesus' name. You can only ask according to will when you return to a lifestyle of worship. Continuing on in verse 4, it says, Even though Edom has said we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, thus they may build, I will throw down. Did y'all change the battery? Yeah? Of course y'all did. The enemy's trying to steal this. We have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, thus says the Lord of hosts. They may build, but I'm going to throw down. That's funny. God says, I'm going to throw down. where we got it from. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and shall say the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Edom, descendants of Esau, were building their own thing. You know what his promise is? You build your own thing, I'll tear it down. But if you build my thing, I won't. Which brings me into a topic I didn't think I would get into. Rapture. Now hear me out. Before I get into this, I really don't care what your theology is about rapture, and I'm not going to get into my theology about rapture. Because theology is simply man's study of something and how they see it. <clears throat> that's, all, that's all theology is. This is what we do know. There is going to be some sort of meeting in the clouds. We don't know how, it has, how it's going to happen, and we don't know the order of which it's going to happen. Your truth does not mean it's truth. But we do know it's going to happen. Can we agree on that? Okay. So I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verses 16 through 18. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, don't hold back, so I'm going to go for it. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Interesting, we were hearing trumpets tonight. And we're still here. Lighten up, lighten up. Don't text me and, you know, with stuff. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air, and then we'll be with the Lord forever. So, encourage, encourage each other with these words. The promise of being taken up in the clouds is to encourage believers, not fear monger the lost. Right. 
And we're seeing it over and over in the church of today of this whole idea of get ready, Jesus is coming back. That should be encouraging, not check yourself. Rapture, now, now, now hear me out. I'm not arguing that rapture means to take. So listen, instead of forming opinion, listen to what I have to say. Rapture is not snatching you away. Rapture is I'm taking you up to show you around to put you back down. It isn't about leaving the loss. It's about let me show you what the restoration of my kingdom looks like. Because remember, he's going to destroy the earth so that he can restore it, rebuild it. Meet him in the air, and then we'll be with the Lord forever. Forever is heaven on earth. He brings us up to restore what is built in us and mirror it on the earth. Why is he looking for a spotless bride? So he can say, that, that, that's, that's what I'm not destroying. So when, he's, so when he sees a spotless bride, let me take care of what remains and mirror what my bride has built and put it right back on the earth. That's what the meeting in the clouds is. Let me show you what I'm about to do. And you are the people that have built my church according to how I want to put it back. That's why it's encouraging. I'm getting a lot of head nods, so this is really good. Now, what's interesting is this passage in Hebrews I saw. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 26. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things remain. What's unshakable? The spotless bride he's looking for. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Fear as in a reverence. In the un, it says, in the end, unshakable things won't be destroyed. And you still think that this, all these signs that we're seeing is about the end of the world? When God's trying to show us it's actually about the restoration of it? He's not, he's not going to destroy what is willed. His church. But a world or an idea, or a culture built apart from him, that's what he's tearing down. So why do we Christians sow seeds into a world that's going to be thrown down? The reason to not walk according to the pattern of the world is he's saying you're sowing seeds into a ground destined for destruction. Instead of throwing seed to a ground, that will never be shaken. So, so when we're having all these conversations about do we do this holiday or not that holiday or do we, is this right or is this wrong? He says, it, it's, a very, it's a very simple answer. What are you sowing seeds into? Something that's going to be destroyed or not. That's the return to worship. That everything I have is going to be seeds of worship, seeds of glory to God. 
the way I receive people, the way I talk to people, the way I forgive, the way I walk forward, the way I handle my issues, everything is a seed for God. My finances, my resources, my talents, everything is a seed for God. Because when we sow seed into a ground of heaven, what produces is heaven on earth reality. So when we come in here together and worship, or when you go home and you worship, or you, 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 you uh, meet together with believers in homes and lunches and dinners and coffees and whatever it is, when we're doing life out there, it's an act of worship, and that's the spotless bride he's looking for. Spotless bride does not mean I'm looking for people who are perfect. You want to know why? Because he says you're already perfect. He says you are perfected unto right standing. Spotless bride does not get everything right. Spotless bride is about receiving what I've done. Receiving what he has done looks like there is authority to cast out demons instead of being tormented in the night. Receiving what he's done looks like I am not going to stay in depression. I've been seeing this thread on Facebook lately, and I think it's from a Christian author, and it seems good, but I'm going to go ahead and rebuke it because it's not. And th this is, the, this is the, uh, the statement I've been seeing. Anxiety is simply the Holy Spirit's way of giving you a time to pray. No, no, no. It's, 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 it says he will cast out all anxiety. And that's a prime example of sowing seeds into something that he doesn't want to stay, that doesn't want to, he doesn't want to stay. Don't embrace your anxiety, cast it away. Hmm. Where you throw your seeds is indicative of your degree of worship. But the good news is that every seed can be redeemed. And the danger in hearing a message like this is you take an inventory of all those wrong seeds that you've sown. Say, gosh, I've been sowing into the wrong ground. God says, all you need to do is walk forward and start sowing into the right. You remember Zachary's testimony? His whole life he felt like he's been out of time. And in a moment, all doubt of his timing of birth was thrown away. So he's no longer going to sow seeds of thoughts into this is not my time. Now he will sow seeds of thought into why am I here? Not I wish I was then, but Lord, what's my purpose now? See, the good thing about God is that he doesn't make mistakes. You're here for a reason. Don't ever doubt that. Well, you don't know my circumstances. doesn't matter. You're here for a reason. Well, God didn't plan for my mom and dad. I, I don't know why I'm saying this, so someone needs this. Well, God didn't plan for my mom and dad to get pregnant with me because they weren't even married and they were this and they were that. Doesn't matter. He knew you before you were in her, room, her womb. You were simply brought in at a time. But you weren't a mistake. You may, have been, you, you may have entered into not the willed circumstances, but he got you into the earth in the time he wanted. We don't know why. Don't need to. You're here for a reason. 
That's for somebody in here. With a return to worship, we will navigate together because we see every opportunity as a chance to worship him when everything is about glory to God. We should delight in the meeting in the clouds. Not because it's the end of the world, because it's the beginning of true world. Heaven on earth. And he says, when you sow those seeds now, you can enter into that reality before I even come back. Because he's just as real now as he will be when he calls us. But will you worship him like that? I close with this, Matthew 28, 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is just as here now. He is just as here now as he will be when he returns. So why are you waiting to see him when you have a chance to see him now? We need a paradigm shift in the church, a revelation of his presence. We don't have to wait because he's here. So my encouragement to everyone in here tonight as we leave is from this moment forward, let your worship be the worship of a king who is not returning, but who is right here, right now. Not just returning, right here, right now. He is among us. When you start to understand that, men will get out of this language of I don't worship with my hands raised. I'm not like that. Because I, I assure you, you will if you realize he's here. Is that okay? See, it, it, it's, it's not about this is how I'm built. Um, I believe Chuck, Chuck told me a story about a preacher in Florida. He was a, it was he a Baptist preacher, a Baptist pastor, the, the, the charismatic guy. I think he was... Maybe it wasn't you. I think pretty sure it was you. If you don't remember, just go with it. <laughs> it, it, was a, it, it, was a, it was a pastor in Florida, and he, he didn't believe in raising hands in worship, and he, he yet, oh, it was, it was you. It, it was Chuck's wife. Blame her. He didn't believe in hands in worship. He, he did, they, they didn't believe in an outward expression of worship, even in church, if people gave more than just a, they would, they would look at him weird and tell them they can't do that. He said he was going into the daycare one day after church to get his either a son or his grandson, grandson, and the grandson looked up at him and went, and went like this. And in a moment, he got it, just as he's reaching out to be held. Father, I want you. And he is jealous for that worship. 